All right, how's everybody? Hey, real quick, um, let me just say a few things. We're, we've been in this series, Hindsight. This will be week four of our series. Um, I, so I want to say a couple things real quick. Number one, uh, thank you uh, for allowing me the privilege to go back to my home church last Sunday. This is the church that I started going to church in in my early 20s. This is the church that I was saved in. This is the church that I was baptized in. This is the church I was married in. And this is the church that I was called to ministry in. So needless to say, it had a huge impact on my life. So thank you for the opportunity to go back last week and just invest in them a little bit. Uh, the other thing that I want to say is, um, man, just, I, you know, sometimes I show up on Sunday mornings and I just have no idea what God's going to, how he's going to speak and what he's going to say. And just through the worship this morning, uh, I want to thank Jared and the worship team for just putting that together. Uh, a couple things. Just that idea that he is the same God. How many of you find comfort in the fact that he's the same God? Amen. Yeah, amen. Come on now. Um, you guys have been like golf clapping this morning. It's not golf clap season. Like we got to get ready for football season. Um, and you guys should be praising God as loud as you possibly can. Uh, louder than we give Glory to Georgia or Florida. Not that any of you would do the Florida thing. Maybe a couple of you. But like, we got to be louder for God than we are for anything else in the world. Amen to that, right? Like, so, I mean, just this idea that we serve the same God. And so we're singing these songs, same God, and then what a, what a wonderful name and what a powerful name it is. We're singing these things, and it immediately just all of these things started flooding into my thoughts about, about who God is and what he's doing. Um, I, many of you know that um, Chris Paul and his family have been going through just an ordeal. I don't, I've never met his sister, Amy, but I'm getting text messages in from people that are just going, hey, I, I just want to tell you what's going on. Like a, a month ago or however long ago this thing first happened, there was the, the, the text message was, well, her, you know, their brother is a doctor and he's saying without a miracle, there's no chance. And then what I get this week is the fact that there's brain activity and she's responding to commands and she's, you know, there's, there's hope and there's no damage to the brainstem. That is only because we serve a miracle-making God, amen? I mean, just God is the same. He's reminding me of that time after time after time. And I mean, just, I'm, I'm amazed at that. And then uh, even Didi's brother, many of you have been praying for Didi's brother, and Didi's brother has made it through several surgeries that we weren't sure that he was ever going to make it through. And, and over the course of this week, and then even here this morning as I'm singing these songs and I'm thinking about how, how God is this, the God of the Bible, the one who made all the miracles, the one who created all these things and made things possible that seemed impossible, we still see him at work. And so I don't, I don't know what that may say to you this morning and what you may be going through as you show up here or what you may be going through for those of you who are watching online, just God is still the same. So don't ever give up on anything that God has put in your heart, okay? Just like trust him, just trust him, trust him, trust him. And um, man, I'm just blown away at, uh, at how good of a God we serve. And I'm just, I can't tell you how thankful I am uh, for his faithfulness. Even when we're unfaithful, I just am so thankful for his faithfulness. And uh, I made a change this morning. I told Anita, you know, I sent her my message stuff. And hey, here's the text. This is where I'm going. And, and then, um, I, you know, just through the weekend, uh, got up yesterday morning before everybody else woke up. And I just said, I'm going to, I want to study some more. I just want to read some more. I want to pray some more. And as I did, God just said, hey, we're going a different direction. And I said, God, wherever you're going, that's where I'm going. And so that's what we're going to do. And so today we're going to be in John chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and, and turn there. Um, so we're in this series, Hindsight. 
And, and the hindsight is the, the, the purpose of this is that we might look back so that we can move forward. And looking back at the things like God's faithfulness helps us to know that, God, I can still, like I'm, I'm in this, I'm for this, like I'm staying in my faith, I'm not gonna abandon my faith, I'm in the church, I'm for the church, I think the church is the hope of the world even though it, the church seems like it's in chaos. I mean, I don't know if many of, we are a Baptist church, we belong to the Southern Baptist Convention, and I don't know if many of you have seen what has taken place in the Southern Baptist Convention, but in the last couple of weeks, a report came out of sexual misconduct among pastors that was being swept under the rug by the Southern Baptist Convention, okay? It's sickening, and it's sinful, and we need to be in prayer for those families who are victims of that. We need to be in prayer for the repentance of the people who were involved in those things. It's just awful, but I still believe that the church is the hope of the world, as flawed as it may be. It's made up of sinful people like me, and we're not perfect, and I'm not perfect. I'm just trying to follow a Jesus who is perfect, and I'm trying to follow his word, which is perfect as perfectly as I can, and I don't get it right most of the time, but I still believe that it is the hope of the world. Why? Because it's the same God. It's the, what we've been talking about this morning. It's the song that we sang. And so as we think about hindsight and we think about looking back in order to move forward, we look back to go, yes, God, you are faithful. And I want us to think about something this morning that is as faithful as God is, there's one, common, there's one common denominator in all of our failures and all of our shortcomings and all of our sufferings. And the one common denominator is, is us. No one has deceived you more than you. As much as we want to blame other people, we live in this world today where, hey, you know what? Whatever's wrong with me is somebody else's fault. That's the world we live in today, but no one has deceived you more than you. No one has caused you more pain. No one has lied to you more than you. God is faithful, and so looking back, we see God is faithful. Looking back, we know that our hearts are, are wicked. They are evil. They are deceitful. We will deceive ourselves in order to pursue things that we know are contrary to what God is teaching us. And so I want to begin this morning just to get us to ponder a question. I want us to think about this. Uh, so let me pray before we dive in. God, thank you so much for your word. It is true. I don't care what the world says. I don't, care, I don't care what professors at liberal colleges say. The word is true. It is infallible. It is inerrant in its original written context. And it does not change. And so God, it doesn't change and you don't change. And so God, may we not change the course that we have set ourselves on, God, the path that we have decided to follow you, maybe years ago or months ago, weeks ago or minutes ago, I don't care when it is that we decided to follow Jesus, God, may we always stay the course because we can look back and we can see that you are faithful. Our hindsight tells us that. And so may our hindsight provide information and form our future sight. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. So here's the question that I want to ponder. What, what makes you feel alive? What is the thing that like, makes you feel alive? Like, when you think about it, like your heartbeat starts beat, you know, your, your heart rate picks up just a little bit, that, that uh, you get excited, like maybe you're like, man, I, I just can't wait for that thing, and I don't know what that thing is. For some of you, it was graduation. Like you could not wait for graduation. Like, woohoo! it is here. I have graduated. I am done with school. By the way, that whole thought is not as great as it seems, okay? Because some of us would be like, man, high school really wasn't all that bad when we think back to, <laughs> to those days. But what, what makes you feel alive? Now, th there's all kinds of things that you could put on your list. 
Right, and I, I'm going to read you a list in just a second. It's a list that I came up with. Some of the things that I came up with are would be on my list. Some of the things that I'm going to go through here, I uh, would not be on my list. But I want to just read off this list to you. And if if it resonates with you, you can hold your hand raising till the end. Just I want to read the whole list off, and then at the end, if if it resonated, if any of them resonated with you, then we'll kind of say, all right, we're we're in this boat together. So here's here's a few of those things: traveling, sunset. Sunrise, beach, lake, fishing, hunting, reading, roller coasters. Man, I love roller coasters. Uh, getting, getting together with people, getting away from people, productivity, and new things, new ideas, just new. Now, how many of you, some of those things resonated with you this morning? Like you're going, hey, yeah, man, that, that stuff makes me feel alive. Like I get excited. Some of those things that are on there, I get excited about that. Now, I say that and I ask you that because there, there, are, there are motivations in our life, right? Like the things that when we think about them that make us feel alive are the things that we ultimately give large majority of our life and our heart to, right? Like the things that we go, man, that makes me feel alive. Like I can't wait to do that again, or I can't wait to go and do that, or I can't wait to be a part of that. Whatever that is, it's what we ultimately build our lives around. It's what we structure our schedules around. It's what we put in our calendars. Like we make these things happen. So what is it that makes you feel alive? Now don't raise your hands on any of these, but I wanna ask you some questions. Here's, here's some more questions about do any of these things make you feel alive? Again, don't raise your hands on these. How about reading the word of God? To make your heart race? You get excited when you think about the possibility of reading God's word. What about the church? Do you get excited when, like Sundays are buildups for me, like Sunday's the day of the week for me. I, I just can't wait for Sunday. And it's not because I get to stand up here and run my mouth, it's because Sundays are the day that we come together as the body of Christ, and I love, love, love standing right there and listening to all of you worship God like there's no one else in the room. I love that. I love hearing the, the church pour out their praise to our holy God. What about sharing the gospel? Does that get you excited? Does that make you feel alive? Probably makes us scared. But does it make you feel alive? Do you get passionate? Do you get excited about the possibility of going, hey, I'm going to somebody's house today because they're going through some stuff and I just can't wait to share the gospel with them. What about um, studying with other believers? Do you get excited when you think about the possibility of gathering together with other believers to study the word of God? How about sharing your testimony? Do you get excited about the possibility of sharing what God is currently doing in your life with other people that they might become encouraged as a result? Or... How about this? Do you get excited? Does it make you feel alive when you think about serving God with the spiritual gift that he gave you for the purpose of building up the church? Does that excite you? Does that make you feel alive? My guess is <clears throat> that if we did ask for hands raised on that, we may not have had as, uh, on any of those, that we may not have had as many hands raised as we did in the first set of questions. And here's why. So, I mean, we think about this, like all of the things that I mentioned in the second set of questions, the reading the Bible, going to church, using your spiritual gift to serve God, the, uh, to, to share your testimony, to share the gospel, all of those things. <clears throat> the, reason, the reason that many of us would say that those don't make us feel alive or as alive is because here's the truth that we all need to go ahead and just settle on, okay? This is something that's true for every one of us. 
And, and if we're not careful, we can mishandle this truth, and it leads us to places that we don't want to be, okay? And here's, here it is. Here's it. We are on, we're not on a truth quest. The reason that we would not have raised our hands for many of those things, the reason that we go, hey, you know what? I just get excited when I think about reading the Bible. I get excited when I think about gathering with other believers. I get excited when I think about using my spiritual gift to serve God. The reason that, is, the reason that many of us may not have raised our hand on that is because we know that those come from the truth of words God and we are not on a truth quest. We are on a happiness quest. That's why, that's the basis of every decision that just about every human being on the planet makes. What makes me happy? What's going to make me the happiest that I could possibly be? And so our pursuit of happiness is what causes us to pursue the things that the world tell us that we need in order to be happy. In order to be happy, you need more money. And I don't care how much money you make, you always want more money. The pursuit of happiness is what tells us in order to be happy, you need this person. In order to be happy, you need this job. In order to be happy, you need these things. This is, this is what you need. Because we're not on a truth quest, we're on a happiness quest. Again, it's the foundation for almost every decision that you and I make in life. Most people will only claim the truth that supports their pursuit of happiness. Have you ever talked yourself into doing something that you knew, like, this is a really bad idea, but I, I, think, I think it'll make me happy if I just do it, and then it doesn't. Well, why did you do it, even though you knew it wasn't true? Because we're not on a truth quest. We're on a happiness quest. I mean, people will ignore what they know to be true and even at times begin to make up their own version of the truth in order to be happy. Of course, we know there's no such thing as new truth. There's only the truth. So, don't believe me? Just look around you. We live in a world today, okay, and I don't want to get into politics, but this is just what we see. We live in a world today that is teaching that, hey, you know what? If you're not happy with who you are, if you're not happy being a guy, just claim to be a girl, use the girl's bathroom, just change your identity, it's like, no, that's not the truth. That's not even science. Like, you, you, can, you can pretend to be one thing. You can push it aside in order to pursue happiness, but it's not going to find you happiness. See, we live in a world today that's willing to push aside the truth, no matter what science teaches. And again, there, there, is, um, there are people who would say that they're going to believe the science on certain things, but then on this thing, they're going to push science aside. You can be whatever you want to be. If you don't want to be a guy, you can be a girl. You don't want to be a girl, you can be a guy. Just make up your mind. Just, just be whatever it is you want to be. What does God's word say in Genesis 5-2? In Genesis 5-2, it says, God created male and female is how he created them. He created them male and female. He created them male and female. All right? From the beginning, when you were born, you were born biologically male or female. All right? It's, it's not like, like you, you can see this. Like if you go get a blood test, it's gonna sh you can determine probably if somebody's male or female, right? Yeah, but you know, that, that Genesis 5 thing, that's Old Testament. You know, we're, we're a New Testament church. We believe in what Jesus teaches. Okay, well, great. I'm glad you brought Jesus' name into it. Mark chapter 10, verse 6. Jesus says this, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. There it is again. 
Jesus identifying and, create, and, and confirming what God had already taught. By the way, they can't differ from one another because Jesus is God. God is Jesus. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all the same God. So can I say something as lovingly as I know how? No matter how much we want something to be true, no matter how slick of an argument we can conjure up, our pursuit of happiness does not alter the truth. It just doesn't. No matter how much we want to be happy and try to change the truth to fit our narrative, it still doesn't change the truth. The truth is just always going to be the truth. How about something a little closer to home? And by the way, what I'm getting ready to say is no condemnation on anybody in here. So please don't walk out going, oh, he knows my stuff and he's talking about me. That's not it. Okay, I'm just trying to point out, this is just simply to point to the reality that we are not on a truth quest. We are all on a happiness quest. I got to get us all on that even playing field. Here's the truth that we all understand. This is something that, Dr. Connor, you deal with on a daily basis. Every doctor deals with it on a daily basis. How many times do you look patients in the face and go, hey, you got to do this if you want this result? And what do we do? We walk out and do, I don't care what that doctor says. But here's the truth, okay? And again, please, if this is you, I don't know if this is you. I'm not trying to make, but I, I just, just for the purpose of making a point. Smoking cigarettes, smoking in general, probably vaping and all that stuff too. Smoking will significantly increase your chance of getting lung cancer. 85 statistics, 85% of all lung cancer patients are smokers. Okay, can we all agree? Like, like we get that, right? If that's the case, then why is it estimated that there are approximately 31 million people, and I think it's higher than that, but that's just the statistics I got off the internet, 31 million Americans smoke on a, on a daily. If you know that, and they put it on the package that if you do this, this is, you're, you're, you're significantly increasing your potential for lung cancer, why in the world do we do that? Why would anybody push aside the truth? Because we're not on a truth quest, we are on a happiness quest, and for many people, this is what makes them happy. And listen, I could talk about cigarettes, but we could talk about a whole lot of other things too, right? Which I may get to in a second. We're not on a truth quest. We're on a happiness quest. I remember my mother passed away last August, August, uh, July 31st of last year. My mom passed away from lung cancer. My mom smoked her whole life. As a kid, I would beg my mom, mom, you gotta quit smoking. I'd see what this stuff does. I know what this stuff does. I, statistics tell us we see people that it's happened to. And my mom would be like, I know. Ignore the truth for the pursuit of happiness. Ignore the truth for the pursuit of happiness. This is what makes me happy. And so, I'd, mom, you gotta quit, I know. So last summer, about this time last summer, my mom started she was at my son's graduation. She was at Grant's graduation last May. She was at our house. She came up. She spent the weekend. Then just a month afterwards, she said, hey, I'm going in. I've got to have some tests done. I've got to go get an MRI so, uh, or a scan done. And so she said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over there. And I said, okay, well, Mom, I'll, I'll meet you in Palatka, Florida, and I'll, I'll sit there with you in the hospital while you, you know, do your scan. So she has her scan, and I remember, I, I saw her get out of the vehicle. Well, I pulled up, and then they pulled up, and I saw her get out of the vehicle, and suddenly she doesn't look like my mom anymore. And so I'm like, what, what is going on? Like, I didn't know you were, like, going through some severe sickness. 
And just a couple months later, my mom's gone. And I remember when she found out the results of her scan, it's stage four lung cancer. These were her words. She said, I can't believe I was that stupid. Why would anybody do that? Because again, we're not on a truth quest. We're on a happiness quest. Why would people who know that what smoking can do continually do it? Because we're on a happiness quest, not a truth quest. We could say the same thing about other destructive decisions. We could talk about drug addictions. We could talk about bad dieting, lack of exercise. We could talk about bad relationship decisions. Bad relationship decisions are just as bad as, as just about anything else. We could talk about sexual sins. We could talk about bad spending habits. We could talk about rooting for the Georgia Bulldogs. I mean, look, there's a lot of destructive decisions out there that we make on a daily basis, and we don't make them because we don't understand the truth. We make bad decisions. I mean, how many times, you guys know it, like how many times did you have a friend in school that you said, man, you should not date that guy, right? And what'd they do? They dated the guy, and, and it ended horribly. And you, you kind of showed up when they came to a crash landing, and you didn't want to say it, but they could kind of read it on your face, told you so. I told you the truth about him, but you dated him anyway. Why? She was on a happiness quest, not a truth quest. Our staff is reading through a book. Um, it's a leadership book entitled Canoeing the Mountains. And there's this section that he, he writes about this stuff. His name is, is Todd Bolsinger. And I think I have the quote. We're going to put it up on the screen for you. Listen to this. He says, in a study of those who were faced with exactly that choice, you know, changing or dying. Stop drinking or you will die. Stop smoking or you will die. Change your diet or you will die. Change your diet now or you will die. The vast majority choose to risk death. That's crazy, right? Like, no one goes, hey, you know what? I'm just, I'm just so tired of this world. I'm ready to go home now. Like, no one's saying that. Like, no one's going, hey, I, I hope I do something today that causes me to die. No one does that. But yet we make those decisions over and over and over again for the pursuit of happiness. Again, we're not on a truth quest. We're on a happiness quest. To put it another way, we ignore hard truths for temporary happiness. We ignore hard truths for temporary happiness. Ever since the Garden of Eden, we've been seeing this. Ever since the Garden of Eden, we have been deceived to believe that the truth, watch this, truth is the enemy of happiness. We've been deceived into believing that. Look at what, look, at, this is Genesis chapter three, verses one through five. Listen to what it says. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, here it is. See, this is the deception coming on full throttle. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not Eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, so here it comes, listen to the, the setup. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So in the very beginning, the serpent's going, hey, shove aside the truth. You deserve to be happy. Eat this and this is what you get. When God said the truth was if you eat it, you'll die. And guess what? They ate it and they died. 
Why? You and I, we have to acknowledge in our heart. We all have to do this. Your heart is bent towards happiness. My heart is bent towards happiness. And so we're after the pursuit. There was a movie about it, right? The pursuit of happiness. We are after the pursuit of happiness. And the problem is, is the pursuit of happiness will cloud our judgment and will cause us to push aside what we know to be true in order to try and be happy. And it's a dead-end street. But what we learn when we read the Bible, when we read Scripture, if, if we'll read it enough, it, it tells us that truth is not the enemy of happiness. Truth, you need to write this down, truth is the essence of happiness. Truth is the essence of happiness. It is the very fiber that happiness flows out of. Truth is what gives happiness its sustainability. If you live outside of the truth, then your happiness is not sustainable. Your happiness is going to, based on what's, is going to be based on what's happening. If you want your happiness to be based on what's happening, then you don't need to look very far back. You don't need to have a whole lot of hindsight to see what happened in 2020 that took a whole lot of people's happiness away. Okay? Happiness. The essence of happiness is truth. It's not the enemy of happiness. And so Jesus in John chapter 15, and I know that was a big lead in, but I'm almost done. Read with me here real quick. We're gonna shoot all the way one through 10. One through 10. We're gonna shoot just straight one through 10. I am the true vine. This is Jesus speaking. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word, that's important, because of the word that I have spoken to you. You are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do, what's the word? Nothing. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. But my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Okay, now that's a big chunk of verses and I just want to cover a couple of things. The sooner that we come to the conclusion and come to the understanding that we're the branches and he is the vine. We don't generate for ourselves. We don't create for ourselves. We are not the source of our own happiness. We are not the source of anything. The vine is the source. We are this, just simply the branches. The sooner we arrive at that conclusion, the better off we'll be because we will know in that moment our own weakness. We will understand our own frailty and confess our need for the vine. I think the problem with many of us is we get this. In our pursuit of happiness, we shove aside the, 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 the truth. We step out on our own. We disconnect from the vine and think that we can somehow live on our own. And it says that the, vine, uh, the, the branch that is disconnected from the vine, it withers, it dies. And that's where we are. 
We live in this world where we have the truth and we have the answers and we look at the world around us and we go, what in the world is going on? Like, why are people behaving this way? Why are people believing this way? Why are people acting so foolishly? Why are people doing these things? We look at that, we look at the world around us and go, man, it's crazy. It's, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And, and our temptation is, is what we want to do is we want to hide and retreat. Man, if the world's going to be this crazy, I'm just going to go create my own little Stevens bubble and we're going to live in it and we'll just be happy and it'll just be us. No. We are supposed to be the church. We're supposed to be the light of the world. We're supposed to be the salt of the world. And we're so busy. Like, I'm big. Like, don't talk to me about problems. Like, I, 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 listen, I'm your pastor. I will listen to your problems. But at the end of the day, I don't want you to get up out of my office and we just talked about your problem. Like, I, I just, I want to talk about solutions. How do we fix it? If it's a problem, how do we fix it? Our world today is just, we're so bent on, like, let's jump on social media and talk about all the problems. How about we talk about the solution? And you know what? I believe that there is a solution. It's called the word of God. Everything that's going on that's jacked up in this world, if we would just do what the word says, then guess what? Problem solved. Problem solved. Give your life to Jesus. Your problem solved. Give your life to Jesus. Follow Jesus. Your problem solved. Do what the word, live your marriage out the way this says, problem solved. Find your, find your purpose in Christ, problem solved. Find your identity in Christ, problem solved. And we look at the world and we go, it's crazy. I don't know what's happening. I can tell you what happened. We took prayer out of school. We took the word of God out of school. We, we said you can't pray in public. We get offended by everything. Like, look, how's, how's that working out for you? The key word is abide. He uses it 11 times in, the first, in these 11 verses of chapter 15. What does it mean to abide? It means to fellowship with Christ so that his life can work through hours to produce something. And he says it's fruit. Is your life fruitful? Has your life changed any because of your relationship with Christ? Do you find joy in reading the word of God on a daily basis? Do you find that you miss it if you don't read it? Do you find satisfaction and happiness and joy in worshiping together? Do you find joy, peace, satisfaction in studying the word of God together? Do you find joy in serving God with the life that he gave you, with the spiritual gifts that he gave you? Do you find joy in those things? Are you producing fruit? Well, how do we abide? He talks about what is the word? He says, abide, abide, abide. What does it mean? How do we abide? Well, how we abide is we remain in his word and we allow his word to remain in us. In verses three and verses seven, uh, you can jot those down. Go back at 15, three and seven. He talks about remaining in his word and his word remaining in us. Read, read the word so much that it becomes a part of you. I remember when I was in the Navy, we went through a class because we got out of school, high school, signed up, went in the military, and we had to take this class because they said, you know, in and, and um, you guys are educated in such a way that you're, you're taught how to do processes and not think. And so the Navy says, we're going to pull you back. We're going to put you in a class for a week and teach you how to think through problems. And what they taught us is that don't memorize the information. Don't memorize the information. Learn it. Know it. Because if you learn it and you know it, then you understand it. And if you understand it, then you can do it and you can explain it. Even if you don't have it memorized verbatim what the words are, you can at least understand it. Like, 
David would say, God, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You ever, you ever had one of those moments where somebody would say, hey, just, hey, how many passages of scripture do you have memorized? You're like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I have any. And then all of a sudden there's this moment in your life when all of a sudden the scripture pops into your head. Why, where'd that come from? You've hidden it in your heart. It pops out. God uses it in that moment in your life to discern the truth to you so that you might not sin against God. When we abide in his word and his word and abides in us, distinguishing truth from temptation, life becomes a little bit easier. How many of you have ever, uh, you, you go to uh, like a different city that you don't live in and you put in the GPS, like the address of the hotel or wherever you're going, right? You, you put that in. If you stay at the same place for a week, after a while, you don't need the GPS anymore to remember how to get back to your hotel. Why? Because you have gone from following and seeing something that is the source of information to owning the information. Now you can just live it out. You don't need it. You need it, but you, you don't need to go back to the source of it. Why? Because you have learned it. You, it. you have abided in the map, and the map is now abiding in you. And God is, Jesus is teaching us, abide, abide, abide. Be in it. Be in it so much that it's now in you. It becomes a part of your DNA. It's a part of your thinking processes. It changes your mind. You become transformed by the renewing of your mind that when you think things, you think through it through the lens of Scripture. When we abide in his word and his word abides in us, distinguishing truth from temptation, life just becomes a little bit easier. Temptation screams, this will make you happy. We all know that. Knowing the truth allows us to avoid the destructive decisions that usually f- flow from a temptation that overpromises and underdelivers. Perhaps uh, any of you ever gotten the email or the text message or the DM that says, hey, I just came into a whole bunch of money, and if you'll send me your bank account information, I'm going to transfer you a million dollars. Anybody been there before? Y'all got that one, right? Okay. Did you do it? Why? I mean, wouldn't you love to have a million dollars in your bank account? Of course you would. But you also kind of go, yeah, it's not true. It's not true. And so the thing that you would be tempted by, the money, is overcome by your understanding of what is true. What's true is somebody's trying to rip you off. So abiding in his word. So first of all, how do we abide? Will we remain in his word and we allow his word to remain in us? Then, secondly, abiding in his word is obeying his word. He says that in verses 9 and 10. Abiding in his word is obeying his word. Well, how do I know if I'm abiding? Are you obeying his word? Are you practicing what the word of God teaches us to do? And then how we can know if we're abiding, how we can know if we're remaining in the word, the word remaining in us, being obedient to what the word of God is teaching is then there's this thing called fruit that he talks about over and over and over again that in abiding in it, we produce fruit. When we are attached to the vine, when we're being obedient to what the word teaches, when we're listening to the word, when we're learning the word so that we can become, the word can become a part of who we are, he says that we will begin to bear fruit. John 15, 2, right there. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. He tells us that you are going to bear fruit. Um, and and I, I don't mean fake fruit. How many of you guys had like a grandma or um, a mom that had plastic fruit on the table? 
You ever, like I remember, man, going up and trying to take a bite out of that stuff. Like, that ain't real fruit. Why did they put that stuff out there? Right? Fake fruit is for the purpose of looking really neat and looking really good and looking colorful. It's just a, it's a presentation, right? It, it is a display because it looks good. People will admire it and think, man, where did you buy that fruit from, right? Like, it looks so perfect. It looks so good. Well, just like, the, just like grandma had fake fruit on the table for display, sometimes we're guilty of just trying to display fake fruit. You know what fake fruit can be in Christian life? Fake fruit can be going to church. It can be fake fruit. I got it all together. Me and Jesus, we're tight. I'm going to church. We can maybe uh, wearing a Christian t-shirt, posting Christian messages on Facebook, sharing Christian messages on Facebook. Those, that's fake fruit if, if there's no real evidence. Don't pursue fake fruit. Pursue the real stuff. I promise you it tastes a whole lot better. The believer who is abiding in Christ has his prayers answered, John 15, 7, and experiences deep abiding joy and deep love for Christ and for other believers. He says that in verse 9. He would say that again later in 12 and 13, and he also experiences something. The abiding relationship is, is natural to the branch and to the vine, but it must be cultivated in the Christian life. It's not automatic. We have to work at it. We have to put some intentionality behind it. We have to get to this place where we go, I am on a pursuit of truth because I believe that the pursuit of truth will lead me to this place of, of happiness. Truth is not the enemy of happiness. Again, it's the essence of it. And Jesus would say it this way, the truth, you can know the truth. And the truth will what? Set you free. The lies, the pursuit of happiness, the things that the world tells you that you need to be happy, it's all a lie. And it will enslave you. Jesus said, you come to me, you can know the truth and the truth. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. You can come to me, you follow me, and the truth will set you free. And then you, in your pursuit of truth, you will find the pursuit of the things that you have been looking for your whole life. Look at verse 11. And this is it, we're wrapping up. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be what? Complete. That your joy may be complete. Truth is not the enemy of happiness. Truth is the essence of happiness. What lies are you tempted to believe today? Just to throw a few out there, that you're not enough, God said you were. He died for you. That God can't use you? Well, listen, God used Moses. He murdered somebody, right? God used Paul. He murdered the church. Like early on, he was the one killing Christians, and God used him to write a large part of the New Testament. What about this? Here's a lie that you young people are going to be tempted to believe because people are going to push it on you that the Bible is outdated, that all the things that the Bible teaches, those are just outdated. No, 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 no. The Bible is the truth. The truth will keep you free. It'll set you free. It'll keep you free. Or how about this one? Ah, man, you've worked hard. You deserve it. The truth 
will set you free. The truth will keep you free. If we separate the truth from the pursuit, the inevitable destination is devastation. If we separate the truth from the pursuit of happiness, the inevitable destination is devastation in our own life. And that's where sadly too many people end up and I just get sick and tired of seeing the devil whip people who know better. But if your pursuit has its source in the truth, there is eternal joy, John would say, to be experienced. That your joy would be full. That your joy would be complete. So where are you at today? What lies have you been tempted to believe? We all get them. Everybody gets temptations to believe a lie. Every one of us do. It's how his, his, remember, the thief, his sole purpose is to still kill and destroy. You need to remind yourself of that daily. His purpose is to still kill and destroy. He wants to tempt you so that you will, he can make a mess of your life. The truth will set you free. Truth is not the enemy of your happiness or the pursuit of your happiness. The truth is the essence of happiness. And please don't ever forget that. Let's pray together.